following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Fourteen twenty in the morning, 14 minutes and 20 seconds, where the sports talk to get you through your daily commute. Hot takes, recaps, best bets, and a little humor to get your day going in the right direction. Sit back, grab your coffee, and let's get into it. All right, 1420 in the morning for this uh, eighth day of November 2023. Today's show, as always, is brought to you by SeatGeek and SeatGeek.com and the SeatGeek app. Use promo code 1420POD at SeatGeek.com today and save yourself 20 bucks on your first purchase over there at SeatGeek. And remember, we are part of the Belly Up Media Network. Go to BellyUpSports.com for all their great articles on the great podcasts, such as the Corner Booth Podcast, Rise of the Occasion, and uh, what else? Uh, the Captain Lou Extravaganza which is on uh, live on YouTube tonight. So make sure you guys give that a, give that a watch as well. Uh, thank you very much from all of us here at 1420 world headquarters, as always for making us a part of your day each and every day. So, yeah, it's uh, no, it's, uh things are going pretty well here. Old Jake, he's picking things up and Jim and Dave and Dave's been really sick. So we haven't done, done any, uh, any uh, 1420 uh, sports bar podcast this week yet, but we'll get onto that uh, tomorrow night and get everything on the, uh, on the up and up. But anyways, uh, thank you very much once again to Jeff uh, Patterson of the Toronto, of the Vancouver Canucks uh, yesterday for, uh, joining us a long time Canucks reporter and it was uh, a little surreal to listen to that guy on the radio for a long time so having him uh, in front of my face you guys get to listen to it uh, in half a half a second here but no it was uh, great having him on he's a, such a knowledgeable guy and such a pro uh, just uh, everything was just uh, re- really uh, really fantastic yesterday with uh, with Jeff and thank you very much Jeff for, for joining us yesterday anyways uh, last I get to the, that half a second but anyways last night the Calgary Flames got a big win uh, against the Nashville Predators and I gotta give coach Ryan Huska a big pat in the back uh, uh, he's had enough, and he's gonna, not going to go down without a fight. One of those things, yeah, the, the coach is uh, usually the first one to let go, but he's, he saw he had a major problem on his hands with uh, with Jonathan Huberdeau. So what did he do? He uh, put him on the bench, tattooed his butt to the pine, and said, you'll uh, you'll have a seat here. Your services are, are no longer required for the rest of the night. Sat him down in the third period, didn't get a shift, and uh, lo and behold, the uh, I don't think it's a coincidence whatsoever, the Flames scored three goals to uh, to win that hot game last night, 4-2, three unanswered goals in the third. Yeah, there was an empty netter by Caudry late, but uh, the Flames come back, they won a hockey game, they were down 2 nothing. come back, win a hockey game with uh, Huberdeau on the bench. And I, I got to give a lot of credit to Huska, for not caring what the guy's salary is. He's uh Huskers, a rookie coach, national national hockey rookie head coach anyways. And uh, he's like, you know what? I got to do what I, I got to do to, uh, to save my job because at the end of the day, it's wins and losses that matter and everything else. And if you can't get a win uh, with Huberto on the ice, you might as well get it, get it with, without him, try something different. And I got to, like I said, I got to give Huska a lot of credit for getting that deal done yesterday and going out and getting the win. What's, what's going to this mean moving forward for Huberto, who seemed to be uh, sulking quite a bit on the bench, hanging his head. Uh, didn't look very, very professional at all in my opinion I think he should have probably uh held his head high and uh you gotta help hold your head high in defeat not just in victory and one of those things he didn't look uh, it was a bad look for Huberto last night yeah you're you're a bit butthurt I understand and you're not going to it's something that he probably's never faced before in his life uh, a little bit of adversity like that but uh, for him to be hanging his head on the bench once he's been uh, uh it was a bad look but the Flames congratulations to them getting a win last night and all of a sudden they're not the uh the worst team in the national in Alberta in the National Hockey League uh the Oilers will get onto that right now too the Oilers made a uh, decision yesterday to get uh, send Jack Campbell down they put him on uh, they assigned him down to uh, they put him on waivers to, for purposes of reassigning him down to the minors. I can't see anybody picking up that contract or that goaltender. He's struggling between the years big time. He probably shouldn't have got that contract, but the Oilers made a decision 
which was an odd time to make that decision with him uh, getting the uh, he didn't even play in the game in, in that six uh, two debacle of the Canucks the other night and for, for Campbell to get benched uh, or to get sent down he must have had a really bad warm up in Vancouver to get sent down the next day because he had to have been thinking he was starting he was probably starting in San Jose on Thursday night because uh, because uh, the way Skinner played but for Campbell to get sent down is one of those things now you don't know what the, the Oilers are going to do if they're going to try to find another goaltender somewhere and uh, make a trip make a change but they only got a million and a half bucks uh, on the books right now because it's sending Campbell down, freed up a million and a half. I don't know how many goaltenders are out there getting a million and a half bucks. And there's rumors out there that Jordan Bennington's uh, up for grabs with St. Louis, but I think he makes a little bit more than a million and a half bucks. So it's going to be tough to see what the Oilers do moving forward, but they're going to run with Skinner, I would imagine, for the foreseeable future and see how that goes. Um, one of those things, it's just, it's it's odd to see. And uh, I guess we one more congratulations, you'll uh, tip of the hat to the uh, to the uh, San Jose Sharks for getting their their first win of the season last night. I'm kind of disappointed they got that win last night against the Philadelphia Flyers. And I, there's something with that Flyers organization. It's just uh, wonky to me. I don't I don't know what it is. I'll try to maybe get a we'll get we'll sick Jake on a Flyers guy to come and talk with us uh, maybe later on next week. But the um, the Flyers got a loss last night. They were on the road in San Jose. They got goalied a little bit, but the uh, I was kind of hoping that the San Jose Sharks wouldn't have won last night, and they would have got their first win against San Jose uh, or against the Oilers tomorrow night. Would have been a lot more interesting to see how that tire fire in Edmonton would have. Uh, I would have seen, seen the uh, the embers gl- glowing from here in Lethbridge come uh, from up in Edmonton. In fact, that, that would have happened. Um, I don't know how you like someone eventually had to to uh, to lose to the San Jose Sharks. I understand that, but I just kind of wish it was the Oilers tomorrow night and not the uh, not the Philadelphia Flyers last night. Anyways, there's enough of me rambling. Uh, let's get to the Jeff uh, Patterson interview, talking about how this great start to the uh, Vancouver Canucks season and everything else going on with the Canucks. Like I said, it was a great interview with Jeff, true professional. I I kind of butchered his uh, his name in the beginning. I was a little bit nervous to get this thing going, uh, so just uh, don't laugh at me and don't at me and all that other stuff. I was like I said, I was a little. Bit nervous started off this guy's a true professional he's been around the game for a long time so here's my interview uh with uh vancouver canucks reporter a long time canucks reporter jeff patterson all right today we're joined uh happy to have jeff Patterson, peter sir patterson sorry long time reporter for the vancouver canucks and the host of the rink wide vancouver podcast among other things out there in vancouver how are you doing today jeff doing well thanks for having me on not a problem. Uh, Jeff, she's all rainbows, unicorns out there in, uh, in Canuck land with the start they've got going on there. What's been the biggest difference so far from last year's uh, Bruce Boudreaux-led team to this year's team uh, led by Rick Tockett? Yeah, I would say full buy-in from all of the players start to finish. And, you know, if they're pros, you'd like to think that there'd be buy-in. They're getting paid to play. Uh, but it was just a little too loose last year, ultimately. And they were so far out of it know if you remember but they lost their first seven games of the season and they were chasing all year long uh and and so i think beyond buy-in it's the fact that they're star players and we're talking about leas Pettersson who had 102 points and quinn hughes who finished with 76 last year and thatcher demko who was hurt and then came back and showed flashes of the thatcher demko that he can be but i would say all three of those guys have leveled up which is pretty wild really when you think of where their level was even on a bad team a year ago so uh, they're being led by their stars who are playing out of their minds right now. And the supporting cast is sort of falling into place and, and holding up its end of the bargain as well. And you add it all up and, uh, yeah, I mean, they're full value for a 9-2-1 start. You say the full buy-in, and I can't agree with you more than that because the, uh, earlier this season, I mean, it's, only, it's still early, obviously, uh, 10 to 12 games in, but you uh, 
after game two or three, I think it was, uh, Coach Rick Talk had basically reprimanded the team a little bit after a, a bad game. Said, we haven't done anything yet. I don't know who we think we are. Uh, a little bit of old school uh, uh, mentality there with Talk. Yeah, and anybody that remembers the way Rick played the game, like I wouldn't want to get on his wrong side. And further than that, it's Adam Foote is his chief lieutenant as his assistant coach. And we all know how Adam Foote played the game. And the game has changed, but, you know, that's the way those guys are wired and and sort of in their DNA. And so, uh, absolutely, uh, Rick Tockett, and I think the game you're referring to was the 2-0 loss in Philadelphia, which does sort of stand as the outlier right now because, I mean, they've won 9 of 12. They got a single point in an overtime loss to the Rangers. They only have two outright losses, and they came back-to-back early on in Philadelphia and in Tampa. But in Tampa, they played well and played hard right to the final buzzer and lost by one to... Uh, the, the Tampa Lightning, so no shame in that. But uh, they were outplayed badly in Philadelphia. And uh, talk, you know, I, I like that about him. Like, he nipped that in the bud. He didn't want that to somehow be seen as acceptable and just sweep it under the rug and move on. I think in years gone by, maybe that was the case with this group. And so put his foot down, called out the team, called out some individuals, and they responded. And again, they didn't win the next game. But the game after the game in Tampa was in Florida. And they really haven't looked back since then. I mean, they're 7-0-1 in their last eight hockey games. So uh, he's pushed all the right buttons from his goaltending decision. And I think there was a real concern in this market that he was going to ride Thatcher Demko and maybe drive him into the ground. Uh, and Demko means that much to this team. But they've found a way to get Casey DeSmith some starts. And when he's played, he's performed and delivered victories. So they haven't been as reliant on Thatcher Demko as I thought maybe they would be in the early going. Uh, but when Demko's been in there, he has been lights out good. And, you know, you look at the first 10 minutes against the Oilers, they could have run the Canucks out of the building last night. The shots were, I think, 19-4 to at one stage, and it's one nothing Edmonton, and then that next goal becomes huge, and, you know, the Canucks were able to get it and sort of uh, calm their nerves and just hit reset and, you know, end up going and winning, going away at 6-2. to So Demko, in all the games that he has played, he has been lights out good. And if you've got that kind of goaltending in the NHL, you have a chance. And right now the Canucks have one of, if not the best netminders in the National Hockey League. Yeah, you, you think about Demko and how he's playing. He you know, he kind of had one of those coming out parties in the, in the bubble uh, playoff uh, the, a couple of years back there. We don't try to talk about that whole debacle a few years ago and everything else. But you, you knew he had that that in him. He was that kind of a goalie. And I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a goalie hugger. There's no getting around that. Uh, he had a game last night. And, and there's a lot of problems around the National Hockey League with goaltenders. And Demko's as close to elite as you get in the league, in, in my opinion. And he had a game last night that they, the, the Oilers could have ran away with that. They looked like they were playing for their for their coaches' lives, the Oilers were last night a little bit in that first ten minutes, and Demko was was lights out and kept kept the game uh, kept the game close because it could have got out of hand really early. But Demko's been that guy, and like you said, Dismitz. Even you go back to the first two games, the Oilers and the Canucks played this season, and Dismitz got that second start, and he was real good. Yeah, and he was good in Florida, and then they threw him to the Rangers, who are a really good hockey club, and they ended up losing in overtime, but. You know, the Rangers scored a pair of five-on-three goals on him. Uh, they scored another power play goal, and then they scored the three-on-three. Three. You know, three of the four goals that night came when the Canucks had three skaters on the ice. So that just doesn't happen very often. And unfortunately, DeSmith didn't get the victory that night, but he played uh, well enough to give the Canucks a chance to win. So I think they've got confidence in him. They made the trade last year. They just didn't have that goaltending depth behind Thatcher Demko, and he got hurt, was out for the better part of three months. But when he came back, you know, it seemed like that layoff had served him well. And I guess that was the hope that as much as you don't like to lose your your ace, uh, you know, there were some learnings for him in there. I think uh, the way that he went about his offseason this year, 
uh, his training, his dedication. Not that that was in question before, but I think he learned a lot about what he needed to do to hit the ground running because even before he got hurt last year, he didn't get off to a very good start. And there was a game in Toronto around this time last year. We're talking Saturday night in Toronto, Hockey Night in Canada. And they went with Spencer Martin, uh, you know, based on based on merit at that point because Demko just wasn't getting the job done. So he seems to have left that completely in the past. And yeah, he's been really good and maybe not better than those first 10 minutes against the Oilers. And he just looks locked in. And I think this team has so much faith and confidence in him. And you, you know, you reference the bubble, and every day we move past that, it seems like more and more of an instant memory. But certainly he offered up what's possible in his game. In the month that Bruce Boudreau replaced Travis Green a couple of years ago, uh, Thatcher Demko was one of the NHL stars of the month, and he was so good then as well. So he's done it in spurts, but what he hasn't done is shown it start to finish, staying healthy and just being that legitimate, like, you know, Vesna candidate guy that I think he thinks he can be and the team believes he can be. He's off to that kind of start this year that, you know, if they were voting on the Vesna right now, he would absolutely have to be in that conversation. Well, there's a couple of guys that are up for awards. I, I'm going to guarantee you that if the season were like, I mean, it's obviously early and everything else, but if you would have said you had tickets to the Edmonton Oilers Vancouver Canucks game in November on a Monday night, and you're going to see the two, two of the, uh, the best players in, in hockey, you, you've probably been thinking you're talking about McDavid and Dreisaitl, not Hughes and, and Pat Pedersen. Uh, what's been the deal with those two guys? Because that's been the, the uh, they've been unbelievable this year so far for the, for the Canucks. Yeah, and again, Elias Pettersson had 102 points last year. Like He announced his arrival. He is a star in this league. Um, but the big story in the offseason was the Canucks had this chance to extend him. He, this is the final year of his contract. He'll be a restricted free agent, so he can't walk away at the end of this year. But I think everybody in Vancouver is a little bit leery after what Matthew Kachuk forced in Calgary. You know, as a restricted free agent, these guys control their fate more than ever before. And so... The fact that they went through the offseason and didn't get him locked up and people thought this is going to be a distraction, it's going to weigh on him. Uh, I think he's turned the conversation on its ear and it's now the meter is running and the Canucks would be wise to basically hand him a blank check because every game out, it feels like it's a, a couple extra thousand dollars on uh, his request whenever they the get around. The break truck is getting bigger, I think, every it time is. he goes yeah, out he on the ice. Se- yeah, maybe the second one. Uh, he's just so consistent. Uh, his vision on the ice uh, you know, they played 12 games and he's had multiple points in seven of them. So more than half his games out, he's just like been all over the score sheet. And even in the games where he hasn't been prominent offensively, his two-way game is so strong. Uh, his commitment to details and defensive play. Uh, and so, you know, he's going to be 25 here in a couple of weeks time, kind of coming into his statistical prime. And, you know, he's gotten stronger every year. I know early on in his career, people wondered, you know, is he big enough? Can he handle the rigors of an 82 game regular season? Uh, The answer to that is yes. The downside is that the team around him has not been good enough over the years. And that bubble that we talked about, you know, that's the only exposure to playoff hockey that Pedersen and Hughes and Besser and Demko uh, and JT Miller as a Vancouver Canuck. That's the only time that they've seen the playoffs, you know, neutral site, nobody in the building, global pandemic going on in the middle of summer, like the most unique and bizarre circumstances hockey's ever been played in. It's coming up on nine years since there's been a playoff game played at Rogers Arena in Vancouver. Like, that's hard to think about when you think of the star power that they've had and you go back 15 years where, you know, they were building to that uh, run in 2011 and they truly were one of the elite teams in the National Hockey League. But really, it's been a dark, dark decade since then. So, Patterson's hoping to lead them out of the wilderness. He's got help in Quinn Hughes, who... 
you know, the knock was always this guy was able to put up points, but could he defend? And he is showing that the best way for him to defend is spend the entire night in the offensive zone. And he's just such a wizard with the puck and the way that he skates, the mobility, uh, you know, and, and you see what Jack does in Jersey as a forward. And Quinn basically does the same thing, but, you know, plays defense, more of a rover almost. But, like, you know, the underlying numbers are incredible. Uh, I think it even strength the Canucks have outscored opponents 18 to three in the early going here. Like he doesn't get scored on. And so, you know, he's not going to crush you in the corner. He's not going to run you through the glass. He's going to pick your pocket and take off with the puck. And you're not going to be able to catch him as he goes up ice. And that is his best gift and, and the best way that he can defend. And it's effective. And, you know, that's the size he is. That's the only size he's known as he's come up through the ranks. He has learned how to use the gifts that he's got. And he has been blessed with many. So, uh, he is just, you know, he's named captain, and I think he saw that as the next stage in his evolution. Uh, he has exuded leadership here with his hockey club, and the fact that, you know, there's one guy in the league that has more points than this defenseman, and it's his teammate, Elias Pettersson. They're 1-2 in NHL scoring in the first week of November. Like, it really is heady stuff here on the West Coast. Yeah, it's crazy that you, you look at uh, Hughes and the, the Hughes family in general. I was going to ask you, like, how a guy that looks like a, he should be with the frame of a guy should be play, playing in a 17U tournament in, yeah. with, with Hughes and then with that DNA. I don't know what that that Hughes family is producing. That's unbelievable how they how they just keep pumping all these hockey players. They're not big, but they're just talented, skilled kids. That just and you, you talked earlier about how you have uh, – you have Adam Foote and you have Rick talking old school, like grit grinder kind of hockey players that uh, didn't mind punching a guy in the face now and then. And, and how, how they, they've been able to, 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 to coach these guys. Cause the new, the new player is a lot different than it was 10, even like, well, especially 20, 30 years ago, let alone 10 years ago. And how these guys have been able to, uh, to deep it, to dig into how these players are nowadays. Cause these kids are, they're, I don't want to go as far as saying they're pampered if you, unless you want to, but they're, it's a, it's a different way of, of, uh, of uh, teaching the game of hockey now and how these guys have responded in Vancouver to this different way of hockey. It's quite remarkable actually. Yeah, and you're right. I, I don't think you're far off uh, with the word pampered. I mean, most of these guys come up through academy programs now and, you know, plan for scholarships if they're going college route or, you know, a couple of years and be high draft choices at a major junior. And, you know, they're given every opportunity because these teams obviously have used high draft picks on them and they want them and need them to succeed. But ultimately, it is on the player that, uh, you know, not every high draft pick pans out. But the Canucks are fortunate that, uh, Elias Pettersson and, and Quinn Hughes, who were both high draft picks. Pettersson was fifth in his class, and Hughes somehow fell to them at seven. And maybe yeah. that's the greatest gift that the organization has ever had, especially considering he was a University of Michigan guy, and the Detroit Red Wings had the pick right before uh, the Canucks did, and they went with Philip Zadina, who uh, is toiling in San Jose right now. And here's Quinn Hughes, who's just skating circles around the competition. So, uh, you know, that the Hughes family, I mean, it, it really is – a remarkable study. I mean, the mom and the dad, both obviously terrific athletes on their own and they've lived that hockey life. And so these guys have been brought up, you know, around locker rooms and they're just, they're hockey lifers. And I think they figured it out for themselves, you know, what it takes that uh, they're not the biggest, they're not physically the strongest, but uh, so much of it starts with skating. And in today's NHL, if you can't skate, you're getting left behind. And these guys, uh, they are just, they're a joy to watch. Just, uh, you know, the way that they, I use float, not, uh, you know, as a negative term. It's like they float on ice out there. They do. Uh, oh. They're not floaters by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, they just they make skating look like an art in and of itself. And uh, the way Hughes Quinn dances around, uh, 
you know, he's just so supremely confident too. Like I, I always say, I've never, and I've covered this team for 25 years. I've been around the league for a while. I have never seen a guy be such a master with the puck on his stick, two feet inside the offensive blue line, which is such a high leverage part of the ice. Like if you get it poked off your stick there, pretty good chance the guy's going the other way on a breakaway. You're supposed to get rid of it, get it back in deep is how you're supposed to, supposed to, supposed to work out that way. Yeah. He does the moves, the, you know, like just, they look like high risk, but he's so many steps ahead of everybody else that he knows what he's doing and they don't. And uh, it's just, yeah, again, it's just such a joy to watch when he is playing at the level that he's playing right now. You talked earlier about how there's it hasn't been really uh, competitive hockey. Well, not not since not competitive hockey, but there hasn't been games of uh, much um, matter, I guess, in, in Vancouver for quite some time. Uh, and it's one of those things that Vancouver, like I, I might follow them quite closely, but they 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 were always close, but no cigar. Make the playoffs, be kind of relevant, but not really. Have um, you know just being average, adequate hockey team, and average and adequate just get keeps you average and adequate. Was having last year kind of not bottom out because they didn't get to like the, the number one pick, obviously, but not making the playoffs and being out and and losing out early and saying, yeah, we're we're not very good right now. Now, was that a benefit to this season? Yeah, I think there were a lot of people that questioned why make the coaching change. Like they were off the rails when they decided to pull the trigger on Bruce Boudreau and bring in Rick Tockett. And, you know, in all the years, you've got a, a North Vancouver kid who yeah. grew up watching and cheering for the Canucks and, you know, the best prospects since the other Connor and all those types of things. It would have made sense for them just to completely tank. And a lot of the fan base out here wanted that to happen like for the bottom to absolutely fall out on the Vancouver Canucks of course there's a lottery so there's no guarantees but the more tickets you have the better the chance and so of all the years it kind of felt like last year was the time just to throw in the towel and take your lumps and yet this management group decided in mid-January that enough was enough out with Bruce Boudreaux and in with Rick Tockett who was going to come in and crack the whip and bring some structure that hasn't been here for a while you know the trade-off was 36 games down the stretch under Tockett they abandoned their hopes of getting Connor Bedard and winning the lottery. But the hope and the thinking was 36 games to instill some systems and some belief and then, you know, take the summer and hit the ground running at training camp. Well, I, I would have to say 12 games in with a record of nine, two and one, it looks like that strategy has paid off uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. Now there's 70 games to go and they've set the bar pretty high for themselves. And can they keep it up? They're not going to win nine of every 12 the rest of the way. But it does feel like Rick Tockett used those 36 games after the coaching change last year to put his stamp on the hockey club. And as I said, full buy-in, uh, you're seeing the proof of that with the way that they've started this season. A guy everybody's cheering for a little bit because he went through some some personal issues, obviously, with Brock Besser. And he looks like he's going to finally, he's at 10 goals now, I think it is already. Uh, he, he's going to hit that 30-goal plateau, I think, in his sleep, no matter what, if the way he keeps going. Uh, what's been the biggest thing with Besser's game? Now, obviously, playing with some, some elite players doesn't hurt. But what's been the biggest thing with, with Brock Besser and the way he's, uh, he's uh, catapulted his game a little bit this season? Yeah, well, just a little backstory for those that maybe aren't as familiar with Besser. Broke into the NHL, had 29 as a rookie, and looked like he was going to be a 30-goal scorer for years. Every year, uh, yeah. Got hurt, I think, played 62 games that rookie season and scored 29. And so 30 seemed like a natch. And, you know, if he'd stayed healthy, 40. Well, the next year was 26. And really, it's been a steady decline since then. And you talk about some of the issues. You know, he lost his father. Uh prolonged battle with cancer and a few other diseases and it played out in public and you know these guys are young men but uh they're human beings and you know i, I think brock obviously 
uh, close to his family back home in Minnesota. And it was tough. I mean, to sort of try to play through, uh, you're getting paid, there's expectations on you, but you know that your dad is slowly slipping away. And so his dad did pass away and last year was a, a real challenge for him. And, you know, I think uh, his head, just the, the head space, as you can understand. Uh, and he lost a young a friend when he was young. He's dealt with a lot of personal tragedy for a, a young guy. And uh, all the money in the world is not going to be able to make that kind of stuff go away. So at the outset of this season, the day before training camp, uh, he was asked. And he just said that, you know what? I'm at peace. I've, I've had time to grieve here. I'm going to miss my father, obviously. But uh, I'm at peace. And he's played like that. Like, I wasn't sure if he was just saying that to sort of convince himself, but he does, he's played like, and you know, he scored four on opening night. You can't ask for a better jump start. To That's a pretty season. good start. Pretty easy and, way to get to 10 when you got and, four on the first night. Yeah. Six of those 10 are against the Oilers. Unfortunately, the Canucks are done with the Oilers until game 80 of the season. But yeah, I mean, he's at 10 goals, 12 games in, if he can stay healthy and that's been an issue for him throughout his career, but he needs to be a 20 goal scorer over the final 72. So He's playing on a line with JT Miller and Phil DiGiuseppe. Miller and DiGiuseppe, big bodies that get in and forecheck. And, you know, Brock's not a guy that's going to make things happen on his own. But if you can get him the puck in a shooting position, uh, he is still a, a lethal goal scorer. And he has shown that uh, on occasion. Uh, you know, last night was a rebound goal. Uh, and then basically in garbage time, but they all count. Uh, but he has, you know, scored some goals like he did as a rookie where he just had this lethal wrist shot and snapshot. I uh, scored a one-timer the other night in San Jose. So he scored in various ways. He's on the power play. In fact, he's tied uh, with Chris Kreider of the Rangers for the NHL lead in power play goals. Uh, you know, if he can continue to be that prominent with the man advantage, the goal total is going to ratchet on up there. So I, I, I would say headspace. And he's been on a line that's been together from training camp through the preseason. They seem like they're just in a, a real groove right now. They understand each other, reading off each other. And he looks like he's having fun. And that's not something that we've said about Besser or Besser's Canucks as a team for quite a while now. So, uh, you know, individually, he's having success. The team's having success. This is the way it's supposed to be when things are going right. And he does look like he's uh, enjoying himself. And we'll see if uh, he can keep it up. It's an outrageous pace with 10 goals in, in 12 games. But, uh, you know, he's been full value as, as this team has. Uh, he's been a big part of the team's success. You know, another guy, and I saw you sent a tweet earlier on about uh... – about Tyler Myers there and he's uh, and my, I've been watching Myers since his junior days back in, in Kelowna and everything else and just one of those guys world junior and the whole thing and great big body who could skate and I remember watching him in junior I was like how the, how the heck a guy that big could skate skate that well at the age of 17 I, I was it was amazing back then and still kind of crazy how guys can walk down the street when they're that big it's a, a lot of times uh Myers had a really good start to this season so far last year of a contract What's been the change with, with him? Because is it is it one of those I need a contract or just um, maybe you know what I'm just I'm a little more relaxed. I got I got others or he was trying to do too much. Yeah, I would say that they have him slotted properly, and I think they were asking too much of him in uh, years gone by. And you know, again, the team didn't have a whole lot of defensive structure. Uh, he is unique, as you said. I mean, at his size, uh, not quite Zidane Chara, but pretty close. And not the same player. I'm not saying that he's that player, but just in terms of size, they're unique. Nobody, they don't make them that big very often. And so uh, the reach, uh, the disruptiveness. And then as you say, like he is a beautiful skater for a guy. Like when he has open ice still, and he's, you know, 33 going on 34 now, but he still can get around the ice. The problem with him is his processing of the game. Uh, as the game gets faster, 
you know, he's prone to just some big mistakes. And because of his size, it feels like everything's amplified. Like you're drawn to him, right? Like he, he stands out of the crowd just because he's as, as big as he is. And there are a lot of big guys in the league, but at 6'8", uh, closer to 6'10 on skates, you know, you are, you're drawn to him. He had a game in Tampa that they lost and he made two egregious mistakes that wound up in the back of the net. I think he was a little gun shy for a couple of games after that. But really, since then, uh, he has picked up his game. He's playing with Carson Soucy, one of the newcomers here. Uh, and they have basically been the third pair for the Canucks. Soucy 6'5", Myers is 6'7". So you've got these twin towers on the back end. Uh, and again, the Canucks aren't asking them to play 22 or 24 minutes a night. You know, if they're in that sort of 18-minute range, that's manageable. And at home, you can match them up and get them out there against desired matchups. On the road, it's a little tougher to, to shelter them. But uh, again, I think with Adam Foote, there is a guy that has been there, done that, has pretty much seen everything. Big man himself, too, right? so, yeah. Yeah. Um, that Tyler Myers has just kind of kept it simple, which I think at this stage of his career is is what you want, and that's going to bring out the best in him. They're not asking him to do the things that Quinn Hughes does because nobody can. So he's really just kind of dumbed this game down a little bit, but that's been pretty effective for him. And, uh, you know, ultimately, when you got Thatcher Demko behind you as the great eraser, you know, there's going to be some mistakes that still happen, but the way the Demko's going – the mistakes aren't winding up in the back of the net right now. The uh, the Canucks they got off to a strong start, and they every every team has salary cap issues. There's no getting around that. Like, is there something that the Canucks could, could possibly do to maybe because they're still ch- they're still chasing uh, Colorado? I think still a better hockey club. They're still chasing the Stanley Cup champion uh, Las Vegas Knights, uh, and then LA looks really good as well right now. Is there something that the Canucks? could use and how do they go and get it with uh with the cap issues that that like i said every team has yeah and they have been up against the cap for too long now quite frankly for a team that you know hasn't been the well it hasn't been a playoff team like you know they've spent like they're a contender but they haven't been and so you know those chickens have come home to roost and we know that last year it was besser uh you know for the better part of a year now connor garland and his contract uh, they've tried to move them. They've given agents uh, permission to try to seek out a trade and nothing's happened because, you know, th- those just aren't value contracts that other teams want to take on and they want the Canucks to retain salary and the Canucks don't want to do that. So it's kind of been a stalemate in that regard. Now, right now, I think they're pretty happy with the way everybody's playing and pulling the rope in the right direction. But, you know, if they could upgrade, you know, I, I mentioned Myers and Susie as a third pair. You've got Hughes and Philip Hironik and Hironik has been uh, exceptional. Uh, so they've got this top pair that is sort of turbocharged with their two best defensemen. But then you've got Ian Cole and Mark Friedman as your second pair. Really, it's a, a top pair and, and two third pairs is kind of how you do it. I, I do think that they would like to add another right shot defenseman. Uh, but those are tough to come by. They're a you know rare commodity. you got to pay a, a price to get them. Uh, and we saw that in Philip Ronick to get a guy that, uh, you know, 25-year-old right shot guy who can log big minutes. They had to give up a first and a second round pick. I don't think they want to pay that kind of price, but they would like to shed a little bit of salary just to give them some wriggle room and some flexibility. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is, and and they're relatively healthy, but Teddy Bluger, who they signed as a free agent, as a, you know, bottom six uh, penalty killing specialist, a guy that would be out late in games to preserve leads, uh, blocked a shot in the final preseason game against Calgary, uh, we were led to believe it was an ankle bruise. It may have been more than that. Whatever the case, it's been four weeks and he hasn't played yet. So uh, he's close. He's back skating now. But if everybody else stays healthy, they are going to be able to plug in a guy that should help their bottom six. And 
you know, the guys that uh, are in that bottom six right now, somebody's going to have to come out of the lineup. It kind of feels like these guys are reading the the room and recognize that uh, somebody's going to have to sit. Nobody wants to. And so we've seen the bottom six elevate uh, their game. Pia Suter scored in three straight games now. Nils Hoagletter scored uh, against the Oilers. Uh, you know, I mentioned Connor Garland, Dakota Joshua. You know, these are the guys. Somebody's coming out of this lineup. And I, I do think it's been a byproduct of seeing Bluger getting close to returning. And these guys have all started up their game because they don't want to be the odd man out when uh, when it's going to come down to decision day. They want to keep rolling on everything else. Well, a couple, a few more for you here. Uh, they're good. They're, 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 they, they, something would have to go because the way, just the way math works and with winning a game, losing the game. And if they go 500, they're probably in for the rest of the season. And it's, it's crazy to think that, yeah. Oh, every year it's American Thanksgiving is the uh, is the the, the the scale there, and it's, they're getting close to that two weeks away. So if they can just hover around where they are, win one, lose one here and there, they're fine. Um, what do you think this team can do in the playoffs? Because like once you get there, you never know. And like you said earlier, they don't have a whole bunch of playoff pedigree so far. Is this team something that they? Okay, what's your prediction for something this team could they could they make a bit of a run right now as the team stands right now? I mean, we're getting way ahead of our ahead of ourselves, but I would say if Thatcher Demko stays at the level he's at, I think if you have one of the best goaltenders in the game, then you know you have a chance to do some good things in the playoffs. Now, to me, playoffs are all about matchups, and so as we sit here in early November without knowing who they would play, sometimes you just draw a bad matchup, and you know a team that maybe has the best power play in the National Hockey League, and your penalty killing isn't where you want it to be, or vice versa. Uh, you know, maybe you're playing a team that has the best shutdown center on the other side and he's able to neutralize your star players. So, you know, to me, I always love that about playoff hockey is sort of the game within the game and the chess match. And that day will come. If the Canucks do qualify, we'll see who they are going to play. But again, you just look at the spine of this team, Pedersen, the way he's going, Quinn Hughes, uh, Thatcher Demko, and then the supporting cast of JT Miller, uh, who really has taken on sort of this shutdown role. This guy had 99 points a couple of years ago, but he's played some of his best hockey. You know, they've already played the Oilers three times and McDavid had three points in those three games. Like for the Canucks to get out of three games against the Oilers and keep McDavid to a goal and two assists, like that's jackpot right there. Uh, and a lot of that has been that JT Miller has been the, the driving force defensively against him. We talked about Besser, you know, Andre Kuzmenko had 39 last year. He's off to a bit of a slower start, but he's still there as a weapon and is on the first unit power play. Uh, Ilya Mikheyev needed knee surgery last year and so really was never healthy. And he's back and slowly finding his way. I don't think they feel that they've seen the best of Ilya Mikheyev uh, in a Canuck uniform now that he's into his second season. So you know, there is some depth to this team. There's there's no doubt about it. We talked about, uh, you know, you get to playoff time. Uh, you'd like a little bit more, I think, beef on the back end and so that is why I do think if they somehow close to the deadline you know that's what I'm looking at and there's talk about bringing a guy like Chris Tanev back to Vancouver I could see something like that making sense uh, just because there's a familiarity uh fit he's a right side guy kills penalties so yeah I mean it's it's way too early to be making predictions but you know when they did play in the playoffs and again unique circumstances but Pedersen was a point of game guy Quinn Hughes was almost a point of game guy uh, JT Miller had a nice run in the bubble as well. So, you know, yes, that's the only experience that we have to sort of go off of, but their first look at playoff hockey and he was in a bubble, but 
you know, they were still playing for the Stanley Cup, not in the final, obviously, but, you know, the stakes go up and I think all those guys rose to the occasion. So that's the exciting part is now you want to see them get a chance to play in playoff hockey where you have to go into hostile environments and, you know, it's not just one night and move on to the next town. It's the same team and the, the same opponent uh, five, six, seven nights in a row. Uh, you know, that's what I, I want to be able to measure and test uh, the Vancouver Canucks and see where these star players are. Because that's ultimately where reputations are born. You can put up all the points you want in the regular season, but uh, the true legends are born at playoff time. And these guys just haven't had the opportunity to perform uh, on the biggest stage. Yeah, you, you talk about that. And that was funny. You kind of you led right into uh, my next question for you. Take a, take us back to uh, June 11, 2000, or June 15, 2011, sorry. Uh, game 7, Stanley Cup Finals in Vancouver, Boston Bruins. What in your heart of hearts, what was your feeling going into that game for the Canucks? Did you think, because they had two shots of getting it done and the way that series played a couple one nothing games and there was a blowout in, in there somewhere as well that the Bruins won like 8-1 in game five, I think it was. Um, what was in your like in your thought process going into that game? You've been around the Canucks for a long, long time. Did you think, geez, they're going to do it? Like, what was your thought process going into that game uh, as a, a long time being around the Canucks? Yeah, well, I was at the Pacific Coliseum in 1982 when the Islanders swept them, and the Canucks had no chance, obviously, against that yeah. Islanders team. But I was there when the Cup was presented, uh, 94, uh, you know, to come that close and lose Game 7 uh, against the Rangers in New York. Game 7 at home, the Canucks had been the best team in the National Hockey League all season. But when I talked about matchups earlier, you know, the Bruins were a rough, tough bunch, and they were able to impose their physical will on the Canucks they were built to beat teams on the power play. If you wanted to take liberties with them, you were going to pay. And they felt that that was the best way to go about their business. But I think over the course of seven games, it's attrition. You wear teams down. And I still wanted to believe that you play all season for one game at home. And they had been a dominant team at home. Uh, the team that had scored first in all six of those games had gone on to win. And so I thought, all right, they're at home. Uh, they've won low-scoring games at home. They don't have to score a bunch. you got Roberto Luongo. Uh, you got the Twins. you got Ryan Kessler. And the buzz in this city and the build-up. I mean, it was games every other night for the better part of two months. And, you know, people had gone through Stanley Cup losses in the past. I think everybody thought this was the year they were going to get it done. And, yeah, I mean, it was just so overwhelmingly disappointed to not just lose game seven, but to get shut out on home ice. I, I think and, that's the worst part of getting shut have, out. So you didn't yeah. even really, I don't want to say you didn't give yourself a chance, but if you don't score, you don't win. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, and, it's that simple. You know, right? Marshawn scored a couple that night, and obviously yeah. he had become public enemy number one. And so that was just an added storyline to it all. And Milan Lucic was a Vancouver guy, and he was getting to celebrate uh, in his hometown, but for the other team. And so there were so many storylines. And I mean, there really was some bad blood in that series. Like, you know, it built up and, you know, it was the fan base. So the media was sniping at each other. I mean, you want that because, I mean, it ultimately that is the highest stake hockey that you can get in the National Hockey League. But yeah, I mean, the Canucks now have been to the Stanley Cup final three times and they're over. Um, that's hard to swallow. And all these years later, you know, and forget the aftermath of uh, the riot and burning yeah. the city down and, and, uh, it was just that it was all there in front of them. They had played all year to get one game, winner take all, in front of their home fans, on their home ice, and just to basically no show. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, time is supposed to heal all wounds, but that one still feels like a, a gaping wound, and the, the emotions are still pretty raw in this city. If you just walk the streets and ask people, um, you know, they haven't let that one go 
Uh, and that's why, as I said, it's been such a dark decade since. And they're hoping now that they have built this sort of core group that can get it done and, you know, baby steps because you got to get to the playoffs first. But uh, lots of nice pieces here right now. There's got to be a good buzz there in Vancouver. I can't tell you, like, why the, when the, when the Canucks are rolling, there's nothing quite like it because the entire province gets behind that team. It's it's a provincial team, not just a, uh, the city of Vancouver team. There's no yeah, and, and let, me, let me say this, that, you know, the other night Dallas came in uh, and Dallas was 7-1-1 and the Canucks were 7-2-1-1 and, and it was a Saturday night. It was Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, and it had that big game feel to it, even in early November. And right. it just dawned on me that it had basically been a decade. Like, I was trying to rack my brain. Again, the biggest games that Patterson and Hughes and Besser and Miller and Demko have played as Canucks were in that bubble in Edmonton. That might have been the biggest game, regular season game, that those guys have played at Rogers Arena. And we're talking about game 10 or 12 of the season. That just speaks to how insignificant they've been out of the playoff race by this time in, in a bunch of years. And yet you still have 70 games to go. So the fans were into it. It was a really good hockey game. And then again, against the Oilers on Monday, that big game feel is coming back. And it, it is so welcome to me because it means the game matter. Uh, the games matter. There's feeling, uh, you know, it got a little chippy between the Canucks and the Oilers again, because they're playing for things. They care. And the Canucks have just been involved in too many games of playing out the string for far too long now. So uh, I do hope that the worm has turned here and that we get, you know, Vegas is in at the end of the month. Like if these two teams continue to go, you know, late November, but that will be a it's, big it's weird time. to say it'll be a big game, but it'll, it'll yeah. be a big, it'll be have the big game feel for sure. And it's just kind of one of those things. Last one for you, and we'll let you go here. Uh, the Canucks have had many different jerseys over the years, many different incarnations of different jerseys. And my favorite uh, forever, actually one of the first jerseys I ever had was the the flying V because uh, my cousin, actually a guy that you guys, uh, your, some of your counterparts on some radio shows in the past, uh, DMAC, Donnie Demote, used to laugh at this guy, Builder Legos, my cousin actually. Oh, and okay, so they, yeah. they laughed at his uh, lack of um, fitness level, I guess, one of those things back in the day. Uh, he wore that jersey. So uh, what that's, that's that was my favorite. What's your favorite Canuck jersey over the years? And uh, what do you think that they – I have one I think they should go to, but what's your favorite one that you can remember? Well, I'm glad to hear uh, there's another member of uh, Team Flying V because I'm old enough to remember it. And I always make the – like, you know, they, they're bringing back the black skate and they wore it against the Oilers and they're going to do it 15 times this year. If you're buying the black helmets and the gloves and everything else, for a night – just one. I, I don't need it to be worn 15 times, but Hall they played a Halloween game against Nashville. Like, bring back the Flying V for one night only, at the very least. They wore them in warm-up a couple of years ago. Uh, it was incredible. Like, I, I just I, I couldn't get enough of it. So I'm totally on board with the Flying V. I don't know if it's my favorite, but I just... I, I, it's time. It's so long overdue. Teams love to do the throwbacks and those types of things. Bring back the Flying V for a game, at the very least. Uh, I will say this. the The Black Skate... And there's, uh, I mean, a lot of people in this market that want that to be the permanent one. And I like the black skate. Like it does look sharp. I'd like to see them bring back the reverse, though, and go with the white jersey with that logo the way that they used to back in sort of the early Trevor Linden days, the, yeah. the run in 1994. Every time they bring back the, the black skate, it's just that. It's the, the black skate. So, uh, you know, in Pacific Coast, you know, blue water and green forest like blue and green sort of feels like the right color scheme for the vancouver canucks so um and they've tried to bring back the stick and rink logo i don't think they've ever 
got it quite right from the original one way, way, way back, like 50 years ago. But to me, those are the elements, I think, that make up the best jersey for the Vancouver Canucks. But I have long said that if they wore pink pajamas and won the Stanley Cup, those would be my That's favorite uniforms of all time. Yes. There's the jersey. I've always thought they should go with the flying V with the with the blue, green, and white colors yeah. somehow. It's kind of one of That's what I've always kind of and thought. And I've seen some people, you know, there's so many creative people out there in social spaces. Like I've seen people come up with mock-ups like that. I haven't seen them on players, but the mock-up looks spectacular. So yeah. I'd be down with trying something like that as well. And it can do nothing but make money. Load the pocket to somebody out there. There's no getting around that. Jeff, thank you very much for doing this. It's a blast hearing about Canucks and talking some old, some old-time hockey too, and about the uh, the 2011 team and how the Canucks team's going to do. I, I I'm not going to say I'm the biggest Canucks fan, but because like I said, I have family out that way, so they let me know on a nightly basis when the Canucks aren't doing well. I watch most games, but yeah, well, thank you very much for doing this. Where can everybody hear you on a daily basis? You're you're the busiest man out the out there in Vancouver, aren't you? <laughs> I, I try to stay busy. Uh, yeah, I, I, we host a post-game podcast called Rink-Wide uh, after every single game, right after the final buzzer, and uh, you know, it's kind of found an audience out here. It's uh, been great. I, I love the post-game space. I love sort of being on that front line and uh, you know just coming up with talking points and generating discussions and those things based on the games that we've just all witnessed. So uh, people are into it. Uh, we're seeing that in our numbers that, uh, you know, the hardcore fans have been with them through thick and thin. But I think we're seeing some of the casuals that are starting to realize that maybe just maybe there's something good going on out here. So uh, you can find us at Rinkwide Vancouver is the website uh, for the podcast. Uh, I also do a fair bit of writing uh, for Canucks Army as well. And uh, yeah, it's keeping me busy. And uh, after years of, you know, trying to find good storylines, uh, the storylines are presenting themselves in in spades these days uh, right now. So uh, Canucks are out on the road here for a three-game trip to Eastern Canada, Ottawa, Toronto on a Saturday night, uh, which will be fun given the way that they're playing and stepping onto that stage at uh, Scotiabank against the Leafs, and then they finish off against Montreal uh, on Sunday afternoon. So uh, we'll see if they can take their show out on the road here and continue to have the success uh, that they've had here in the early going. I think they went three out of three on that trip. Those three teams, you you never know what you're going to get, especially with that Leafs team. You just don't know what's going on. That's true. Half the time, it's one of those things. Once again, thank you, Jeff, very much for doing this. And, uh, yeah, good. best luck to you and best luck to the uh, the Canucks throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, it was good fun. Anytime. Thank you. Uh, there it was, Jeff Patterson, Vancouver Canucks. Uh, yeah, great talk with Jeff yesterday. Thank you very much for doing that. It was uh, a lot of fun and a uh, very knowledgeable guy. Obviously, been around, been a Canucks fan for a, a very long time. Like he talked about the 82 Canucks team that uh, lost to the Islanders. He was in the building and everything else. And then to be around the team, uh, a team you grow up watching, it's got to be a kind of a special, a special gig to have one of those jobs. So thanks once again to Jeff. And here's a little word from our sponsors over there at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the ticketing app for fans like the High Five Strangers guy. Game-winning interception. First down. Just a nice, solid tackle. If you're in arm's length, you will be swapping skin with this extrovert. You see, he knows SeatGeek got him a great deal on tickets, so we can focus on what he does best. Smacking palms. SeatGeek handles the tickets to sports, concerts, and more, so fans can fan. There it is, our friends over at SeatGeek. Use promo code 1420POD at SeatGeek.com today or the SeatGeek app and save yourself 20 bucks on your first purchase over there at SeatGeek. Uh, got a special show coming up later on t- today recording. Uh, Nick Zareris, uh 
podcast host uh, out there in New York City. So we'll t- talk to him a little bit about the Rangers. And he's also a, uh, a co-host, t- sometime host of the Lockdown Flames. We'll talk get his thought- thoughts about the uh, sitting of Jonathan Huberto last night. It's got quite an interesting story. They were, were just watching something here uh, that so they got uh, Noodles was on TV. Going to try to get him on the, sh- on the show as well. But they're talking about the benching Hublo. It's kind of a, everybody kind of knew it was going to happen, but uh, just uh, now that it's actually happening, we're just kind of been surprised. Anyways, let's get it to uh, birthdays on this day and get you guys out of here. On this day in 1990, Daryl Strawberry, formerly of the New York Mets, signed a five-year, $20.25 million deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers after rejecting a four-year, $15 million deal with the Mets. In his eight years prior with the Mets, he was a seven-time All-Star who hit uh, 252 home runs, 733 RBIs, and a 263 batting average. Needless to say, Strawberry's return home. He's actually uh, from Crenshaw. It didn't go so very well at all. Uh, IRS investigation, uh, investigation for allegedly uh, striking a woman he was living with, rumors of uh, contemplation of suicide, whispers that he was hanging out with the wrong crowd, that uh, tensions grew with the team and him. Uh, the fan base didn't like him very much. Strawberry was, was released from his contract in the spring of 94, from the Dodgers, and then uh, two sides reached a deal to give him some money anyways, and they said, see you later. Uh, Strawberry missed the preseason game, last preseason game, when he admitted his two substance abuse. Uh, terrible situation there with Strawberry, but he resurfaced with the New York Yankees in 1995, helping the Yankees win the World Series in 96 and 99 in spot duty in those two World Series and everything else. Strawberry was a hell of a talent, just got himself into, obviously, the, the substance abuse problems that started with the Mets. Well, it could have started before, I don't really know, but yeah, it's well documented that we used with the Mets. They were there was a bunch of those guys were having some uh, substance abuse problems and things were cleared up for a strawberry now, but uh, yeah, it didn't t- turn out so well when he went home to Los Angeles and he uh, cleaned himself up and he's doing quite well right now. I th- I believe, and uh, you see him on TV and ministries and different things. So uh, on this day in uh, 1990, signing with the, his hometown, who says you can't go home? A Bon Jovi song to that. Uh, well, Daryl strawberry says you can't go home and, Happy birthday to uh, Jerry Remy, born on this day in Fall River, Massachusetts in 1952. Remy was drafted out of Roger Williams University in Bristol, Rhode Island in 1971 Major League Baseball draft by the California Angels. He played four seasons in the Angels farm system before making his Major League debut with the Angels on April 7th, 1975 versus the Kansas City Royals. And he was a single off of Steve Busby and was subsequently uh, picked off at first base after that single at the Probably looking around, looking for a pitcher in the crowd. Uh, Remy was traded to the Red Sox on December 8, 1977 for pitcher Don Oss. Uh, Remy would place her seventh season for the Red Sox and would make the All-Star team in his first year in Boston. Over his playing career at the Red Sox, Remy hit 286, two home runs, 211 RBIs. Remy became a broadcaster for the Red Sox in 1988, a position he held uh, full-time till 2008 and then was uh, sporadically through until 2021. Uh, had some health issues, obviously cancer got the best of Jerry Remy, but uh, he passed away from cancer on October 30th, 2021. Uh, the Nesson booth is named after Remy uh, at Fenway Park in his honor so uh born on this day and happy birthday to uh jerry remy one of the good guys in baseball even though uh obviously i'm a yankee guy remy was always fun to listen to on the uh on the radio and on tv and everything else so uh yeah one of those deals but uh, you know a uh, good show today so a lot of fun listening to like i said jeff patterson very much thank you for uh, coming on to the show we really appreciate all the uh all the support i know it's a, a little longer than 14 minutes and 20 seconds but uh when you get a guy of that kind of clout 
You give him all the runway he needs to talk. True professional. And like I said, I kind of butchered the opening of that. Uh, I was a little bit nervous talking to talk to a guy like that. Like I've been listening to him on the radio for a long time. So, uh, yeah, it was fun. Anyways, that's today's show. Got another recording today. And we got a Leafs guy coming on uh, tomorrow. That'll be on on Friday. And Jake's keeping me really busy here. And everything's going really well here at 1420 World Headquarters. There it is. There's the show for today. And remember, it doesn't matter where you are. It's who you're with. Have a great day, folks. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You just listened to the 1420 Sports Bar Podcast. Four beer of the sports talk and a whole lot more. We are part of the Belly Up Media Network. Let's get into it.